0: Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 5. If you don't have a printed copy, you may, if you have a smartphone, look on the Bible app or just go on your browser, Uh, just put in Bible and you'll find a Bible there. And turn with me to Romans, chapter 5, and that's always important because I want you to know that the most important thing you'll hear as we gather together, are the words of God that are are read from Scripture. They're perfect and and they're true. And that's how you'll know that I'm telling the truth, that that I'm saying what I'm supposed to be saying is because we're, we're looking at God's Word. Have you ever been in the middle of a project, or maybe in the middle of traffic, or maybe just in the middle of life, and you think, There has got to be a better way. (laughs) I I think we've all felt that. I I think, though, when I hear that phrase, I resonate with how the children of Israel must have felt. Can you imagine being a a God-fearer, a God-follower, knowing that you broke the law, that you sin every day? And yet, understanding that the way to get back right with God in light of your sin is to go find a goat or a lamb and and to sacrifice that animal to see their blood shed to make up for the punishment you deserved. That was the system. It's called the sacrificial system. Either you or a priest on your behalf would sacrifice an animal And their blood would be shed so that your blood didn't have to be shed for that sin. I mean, just imagine, day after day, you blow it, you mess up. How how many of you sinned this week? Let me see your hands. Well, that should be all of us. I hope your hand's up. Um, And and so you're thinking, oh, no, here I go again. There's got to be a better way. And there was. And, And that's the message of Scripture, That Jesus is our better way. In fact, the truth of the gospel is that in Jesus we have everything we need. He is our better way. And the passage we're going to look at today in Romans chapter 5 makes that crystal clear. Or as a friend of mine likes to say, Waterford crystal clear. I mean, it's so evident that in light of it, in spite of our sinfulness, Jesus gives us everything we need. We're going to look at a passage that talks about two men, Adam and Jesus. And and someone has said that these are two men that every person must confront in their life. What are you going to do about Adam? What are you going to do about Jesus? Those are questions I want to help you resolve. Let's pray together. So again, Father, in the name of Jesus, we've gathered. We're listening Teach us, Lord. Give what we need, Lord. Change us, Lord. As I read again this morning in Ezekiel, I hear it again and again. You are the sovereign Lord. You know all that is. You're the master of all that is. So God, use this time in our lives for your glory. And and Lord, would you give me the words to say and even the thoughts to think in these moments. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are, Romans chapter 5. We're going to begin reading in verse 12. Let's go. Therefore. Well, that's a good place to stop. Anytime you see therefore, we always look back and say, what is that therefore? In this particular case, uh, what we're looking back to is everything in Romans up to this moment, specifically that which we have learned in chapter 5 preceding verse 12. It's been talking about our justification or our salvation and what we experience as followers of Christ as a result of our salvation. So what did we experience? What did we find out? We experienced peace with God. Aren't you thankful that you can have peace with God? Praise the Lord. We experience peace with God. We experience access to the Father. So there's nothing that God has that's not available to us. Isn't that great? That's a good thing. Praise the Lord. We experience peace with God, access to the Father. Two of you are excited about that part. And then we experience joy regardless of the circumstances. Isn't that amazing? That as a follower of Jesus Christ, you can have joy Uh, regardless of the circumstances. Why? Because we've learned that a part of that experience is that we're reconciled to God. That which was not right has been made right. That's the experience of the Christian life. Aren't you thankful that our our faith journey is experiential, that it's not just in our head, that this is something that can make the journey from our head to our heart and, and be lived out through our life? It's an experience. But Romans is a book of tension. And so it's more than just an experience. There's reason for the celebration of our justification, but we constantly need to be reminded of the information about our justification, this amazing experience. So Paul goes back and forth. In order for us to fully understand the celebration, we need to be reminded of the information. And so he begins verse 12 saying, Therefore, because he's going back to the facts... And that's important in our faith. We, we've learned this. In Christianity, we believe our way into our feelings. We don't feel our way into our beliefs. And, and that's an adjustment some of us may still need to make. You, you don't feel like worshiping God today. You, you don't feel like staying in your marriage. You don't, you don't feel like giving God your best. You, you don't feel like being financially fit. Fa- whatever. But, but we don't base what we do on how we feel least not if we're healthy, we we base what we do on our beliefs. So we talked about what we experience in our faith, and then he reminds us why we experience that. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men, because all sinned. Now, in the previous chapter's Paul talked a lot about a biblical character. Do you remember who? Abraham. Because the Jewish people were struggling with the rituals that Abraham had set forth, specifically the ritual of circumcision. Do we need to experience this in order to be right with God? So Paul spent a lot of time taking them back to Abraham. Here he goes back even further. He takes us back to the very beginning. He he takes us back to Adam. He reminds us how it all began. And that's good to do sometime, isn't it? I saw someone post on social media yesterday. They had gotten one of their DNA tests. And in their DNA test, it showed what percentage they were from all these different countries and all these different regions. And their post was, it's good to know your story. It's good to know how it all began, and, and that's good for us spiritually too. How did it all begin? Well, in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 1, it says, in the beginning, what? God. In the beginning, God. God created all that is. Everything was created for him and by him. Paul would go on to say in his letter to the Colossians, and by the way, the fact that we're talking about our salvation in Christ and God's word in describing that salvation has taken us back to the very beginning, tells us something important. What the Bible says about the beginning matters. So I know what you may be taught in school, but can I just explain something? According to Scripture, which you've got to decide if you believe Scripture, but according to Scripture, what you understand about salvation is directly tied to what you understand about creation. Because if there was no literal Adam then what God is about to tell us about Jesus Christ is irrelevant. Uh, just kind of an extra today. So Paul starts talking uh, about Adam. Look at in Genesis in chapter 2 and, and verse 15. We have the origin uh, of this account that Paul's describing. Listen to this. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, to take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man... You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat it, you will surely die. So you know what's happened. God's created everything that was. He said, man, this is good, but it's not great. So then he created mankind. And he created Adam out of, out of the dust. And, and he said, man, this is good, but something's missing. And so then from Adam's side, he created Eve. And and he said, wow, this is great. And he puts Adam and Eve in the garden. And and the verses we just read, it it says he tells them to work the garden and and enjoy the garden. They, They can do almost anything they want. There's one thing they're not supposed to do. So here in the beginning, God gave them a life purpose. He gave him a life purpose. What was his life purpose? To work. Now, I expected there might be some booze when I said that. Because that's part of our life purpose, right? We we may not like it, but we were created to work. And I don't understand all how this looks, but I I just want to tell you, the the best I read scripture, um, even in heaven, it's not just you... flying around on your holy scooter, I I think somehow there's going to be holy work that's taking place. So God wants us to live on purpose and to discover our purpose here. And so again, let me just give you a side note. That means if you're dissatisfied in your work, if you're dissatisfied in your life purpose, that becomes a spiritual question. You need to begin to ask yourself, is this a holy or an unholy dissatisfaction? Am I dissatisfied because I don't have my whole heart into it? I'm not giving God my best or because I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm falling short somehow? Or is my dissatisfaction coming because I'm not doing the things God created me to do where he created me to do them? So he gave him a life purpose. And then the second thing he did is he gave him liberty, freedom. Now, this is important because here we see a principle that's going to follow all throughout Scripture God creates us with this freedom of will. He puts the world before us. We have choices we can make, and those choices determine how our life path goes. This is not rocket science, right? How many of you have ever used your free will, your freedom of choice, your liberty to do something you wish you would not have done? Let me see your hands. That's all of us. Of course you have. The reality is we understand this principle. God gives us liberty. But there was a third thing. He gave him one law. So there's life, a life purpose. There's liberty. But before we knew about the pursuit of happiness, there was a prohibition. There was one law. Now, I want you to think about that prohibition. God had created this fantastic garden. I'm not talking about the kind of garden that I could create, because it would be brown and constantly dying. God created this plush, luscious, wonderful garden. Whatever you like, whatever you think that is beautiful or tasty or good or pleasing, imagine a garden full of that. That's what God had created. And then he said, but hey, there's this one tree. And we don't even know what the tree looked like. Sometimes it's been depicted as this beautiful tree. It could have been a shrub. We don't know. But there was one tree. And God said, now stay away from that one. Why did he do that? Here too is kind of a bonus, it's a side note of of something that will help you spiritually because some of you look at God and and you think of him, I say this often, but you think he's this cosmic killjoy and he's just waiting to zap you with a a laser or, or, or to take you out when you misstep, when you do something wrong, that he wants to hurt you. Is that what God is? Does he just keep you in the headlock? No. I want you to think about it this way. How many of you like Oreos? Let me see your hand. I'm not supposed to eat them. If you don't like Oreos, oh my goodness, I can't imagine. Went to Publix yesterday, and I just spent some time worshiping on the Oreo aisle. <laughs> I looked around, and there's all kinds of Oreos. There's fudge-covered Oreos, there's Cakesters, there's Minis, there's Megas, there's Double Stuffs, there, <laughs> there's Thins. Why would you bother with the Thins? I'm just saying. It's Halloween, so there's spookies, there's toffee crunch, there's java chip. Can I get a witness? It took everything in me not to put the java chip in my basket. There's lemon mint, why bother? There's peanut butter. I mean, what kind of Oreo is there not? Oreos, thank you, Jesus. But what if, as I was looking along that aisle, I I saw an Oreo package, but it was clearly marked poison. Poison. I wouldn't want to pick that up, right? Now, what's interesting is I was thinking through this. I thought, I guarantee you, if that happened, if that was on the Oreo aisle in Publix, and even no matter how clearly it was marked poison, somebody would pick it up. That's what God was trying to do. He was saying, hey, I've got you all these choices. All these things are available to you. Just stay away from this one thing. Why? Because it's poison. It's going to hurt you. And we learned something important. There's no freedom in doing those things which will ultimately hurt you. Just ask that alcoholic who picked up the first drink and thought for a moment that it was going to take away the pain, that it was going to give pleasure until it put them in bondage. Just ask the husband or wife that's addicted to pornography. They just took one glance. And then the mind began to change. And they can't put it down. Oh, there's no freedom in doing that which will ultimately hurt you. And yet that's what took place in the garden, in paradise. Adam took the poison package of Oreos. How it all began, and then where it all went wrong. Some of us are old enough to look in our our lives and, and we can see those places where it all went wrong. Adam sinned. There's a doctrine that we describe about his sin. Do you know what it's called? It's the doctrine of original sin. Have you heard that before? It's the belief that because of what Adam, the first man, did when he sinned, now sin has entered into all mankind. And, And so everyone that's been born after Adam sinned. Adam was the representative sinner. You think of it this way, there's something in in life and society that's parallel to this, it's called the federal representative. You realize even in our republic, we're not a democracy, we're a republic, but even in our republic, though we get to vote, there is someone that represents us. We, We talked last week about in foreign countries how ambassadors represent us. When the Olympics take place, guess who represents us? Those athletes, um, but, but when that athlete or that team wins a gold medal, when you look on the medal count, ultimately they don't just put the names of the individual. What do they put? The nation. Because they're federal representatives. Uh, when we go to war, um, can I tell you something? Whether you wanted to be at war or not, if you're a citizen of this nation, as an American, you're at war. Because there's a, a federal representative. And, and here's the deal. and We're in such a silly, silly, divisive season. And people look at elected official and they say, that's not my governor or that's not my president. Well, you're wrong. If you're a, a citizen here, they, they really are. Because that's a federal representative. So what we see in Adam is God creating this principle. God chose the perfect Person That he could create. He created Adam to the best of his ability, but he knew that Adam would fall short. And so our representative, Adam, he messed up. And we tend to think, that's not fair. I didn't blow it. Why am I a sinner? Well, because you couldn't have done any better than Adam did. The best of humanity was infected by the sinful decision of Adam. He chose to reject the clear command of God. He disobeyed. And as a result, we disobey. We sin. That means we're sinners from the moment we're born. I have to remind you of this church. Because in our world where we like to focus on just the good, we miss this important truth of the gospel. Romans 3 verse 23 says... All, say all. All All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. This is just how we're born. The theologian G.K. Chesterton has said that original sin is the only doctrine that's empirically verifiable. In other words, you can look at the youngest children and and see that they sin, right? You see this in children, right? The selfishness, the focus on me and mine, the desire to have what we want. So Adam sinned, and Scripture says it started a chain reaction. Sin entered the world, death entered the world, and then death spread to everything in the world. And so this doctrine of original sin reminds us that all death, all disease, all depression, all the dark things of this life entered the world because of sin. And Jesus affirmed this one day. Somebody was coming along the road and, 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 and Jesus passed this man that had been blind since birth. And the disciples said, hey, who sinned? Did he sin or is his, his parents sin? Why is he, he blind? And, and And Jesus basically said he... He's blind not because of a specific sin, but just because of the existence of sin in the world. And in some ways, this should be encouraging to us because we're battling stuff, right? You've got diseases. You're you're grieving the deaths of loved ones, sometimes very prematurely, and you wonder why. And and the answer goes back to this original sin. The, The answer goes back to the fact That sin is in the world. Adam ushered in this reign of death. And because of sin, since Adam, everyone has died. Save two people. You know who they are? Say their names. Enoch and Elijah. Another message for another day. But they walked with God and God took them up. But their life here on earth still ended. So how does this continue? Look at verse 13. For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there was no law. Now, I think two things are being addressed here. First, uh, Paul's acknowledging before God gave Moses the law, the Ten Commandments, out of which another 13,000 laws are eventually, derived, eventually derived, before that, there was still sin in the world even though there wasn't law. Uh, but God dealt with the people differently. But there's a second thing I want you to see from this passage. This is one of the verses that that people look to, to help us think about what we call an age of accountability. That those who don't have the ability to understand the law, you know, God accounts for that differently. You say, well, what about those who live in another part of the world and they haven't heard this? Well, Paul had already addressed that earlier in Romans, right? And they can just look to creation and see the hope of the gospel through what God's given. But if there's mental illness or if there's a child that hasn't come to the place and they experience death, oh, I just want to encourage, you're going to see that person in heaven. You're going to celebrate with them forever. That, that's part of what God's doing. Nevertheless, it says, death reigned from the time of Adam to the death of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was the pattern of the one to come. So what he's saying is, here's how it all began, Uh, here's where it went wrong, but there is a path to be right. How can it be right? So look at verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, in other words, if sin entered the world through one person, what was his name? What was his name? Sin entered the world through one man. How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, say his name. Jesus Jesus Christ overflow to the many. So in other words, he's saying just as sin infected everybody, God's grace is available to everybody, His overflowing, His abundant, His matchless grace. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. So the judgment came after just one sin. All he did is take the poison Oreos. But for thousands of years, mankind heaped sin upon sin upon sin. And on the cross, Jesus paid it all. He's the better way, the better Adam. The truth of the gospel is that in Jesus we have everything we need. He is our better way. Say, he is our better way. way. Jesus is the better way. He did what Adam could not do. There's so many examples of this, but just think about what Jesus did in the wilderness. Adam had a whole garden. He could eat anything he wanted, anytime he wanted it. There was one thing he couldn't do. Jesus was in the wilderness. No food. 40 days. 100% man, so he was feeling human. He was hungry. So the enemy comes to him and says, hey, I believe you're powerful. And I see these stones, and I know you've got to be starving, Jesus. Just turn that into some bread. But Jesus did what Adam couldn't do. <laughs> and Jesus said, no, thank you. And then he showed where his power was. He said, man shall not live by bread alone. He's talking about the Word of God. Jesus is the better way, the better Adam. Just as sin entered the world through one man, the punishment of sin can take place through one man. Adam ushered in the presence of sin. And because of Adam, all of us have experienced the power of sin. And because of Adam, all of us must deal with the penalty of sin. But Jesus on the cross dealt with the penalty of sin. That's our justification. He makes it just as if we didn't sin. And then Jesus on the cross made a, made possible uh, us to not be controlled by the power of sin. That's our sanctification. That's growing into the image of God. Then Jesus on the cross made a way so that we could experience what? A future where there's no presence of sin. That's our glorification. That's heaven. That's what we look forward to. Praise the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's why this is such a big deal. Jesus is a better way. One reason in our culture it's so hard to live out the gospel is because our culture is constantly telling us to do better. But the gospel tells us that we will never do better enough. We must depend on Jesus and what he's done. Where we fail, Jesus prevails. I wonder if you'd look at your life. Maybe an area, maybe an area of sin where you feel like you're still under the power of sin. And you say Jesus, would you prevail here today? Would you take control of this in my life? Would you let the power of the gospel Reign through in my marriage or my workplace, my daily life. Verse 16, God gives us a gift of the ability to get right through to the grace of God. So Paul makes sure by hammering home this point in the following verses. Let's close this out. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision? Don't you just love that wording? Say abundant provision. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently... Just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, many will be made righteous. Again and again and again, Paul's saying Jesus is the better way. Three times he tells us, one man messes up, one man made this right. One man caused death, one man gives you life. One man makes you feel like a failure, one man gives you hope. You've got to choose which man you're going to look through as you go through life when you look to the cross you see the power of what Jesus did you see on the cross we see the impact of both men at the cross we see the worst that man can do as they crucified Jesus but on the cross we see the best that God has to offer because Jesus gave his life so that we would have a way and everybody gets to choose which man we're going to look to Is your life going to be controlled by Adam, who introduced sin into this whole mess? Or is your life gonna be controlled by Jesus? But it's liberty. It's your choice. One man, one woman can make a difference. Do you ever think about that? Some great examples in history. Think about Thomas Edison. Uh, I looked this up. He had 1,093 patents. (laughs) That's pretty crazy. Have you invented anything? 1,093 patents. He invented the record player, the incandescent light bulb, an early version of the motion picture camera. That's one person impacting a whole group of people. You can see me (laughs) because of what he invented. Or think about Albert Einstein. What did he? Well, quantum physics. <laughs> That's a pretty big deal. The theory of relativity. Or think about Abraham Lincoln, who, by signing the Emancipation Proclamation, declared the freedom about 3 million slaves. One man. One choice. And you see this throughout uh, Scripture, right? I mean, Noah, he he listened to God, this preacher of righteousness, and he did what God said, and God used him. All of us have flown, come through him. Um, Abraham, he listened to God. He went where God would show him. And as a result, he became the father of the nations. Um, Joseph. Joseph provided for a nation because he was faithful to God. Moses led God's people out of captivity. And there's, there are ladies throughout Scripture. Think about Queen Esther. How one woman stood up and made a difference. And then Jesus. I I want you to think about what you're going to do about what Jesus has done for you. Because you're the one person who can determine that. It's your choice. And for some of you today, that that choice is to begin a relationship with him. It's to recognize that sin in your life and to realize nothing you've tried is working and and yet Jesus died on the cross to take the penalty that you and I deserve and he offers to you by his grace the gift of life. And in just a moment, or even right now where you are, you would just want to cry out to God and say, save me, change me. But before we close, I, I want to speak to what is probably the bulk of us. You have a relationship with Christ, but you still struggle with sin. You've been good at participating, so so let me see how bold you are. Anybody else would join me in saying, man, I still struggle with sin. Anybody in the room? Online? Yeah. We all do. So... What do we do? How does this work? I mean, yes, Jesus paid for it, but what do we do? Look at the last two verses here. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. What does that mean? It's describing why we even have the law. The law wasn't given because God had any indication that you and I could live up to it. The law was given to remind us again and again that we will always fall short on our own. He continues, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What's the role of the law? The role of the law is just to remind us how much we need Jesus, how much we need grace, how much we need the one man, the Christ man. Will we still fail? Yeah, we will. I fail way too much. We'll hurt those we love. We'll make choices that hurt us. But where our sin shows up, God's grace shows off. That's that verse we repeat so much. Where sin abounds, what does it say? Grace abounds much more, more grace. The truth of the gospel is that in Jesus, we have everything we need. He is our better way so So you could think this leads to You, you could think this leads to an abuse of grace, you know legalism. Is an abuse in one way? It says, hey, no, you can never do enough. Liberalism is an abuse in another way. But the gospel, the gospel is the better way. The gospel simply says that though we are sinners, and though we will be sinners on this side of heaven, God loves us so much that Christ died for our sin. And because of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have not only the hope of heaven. But we have a better way here. I love the words of this old hymn. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured. There where the blood of the lamb was spilled. But listen to these verses. Sin and despair, like the sea waves cold, threaten the soul with the infinite loss. Grace that is greater, yes, grace untold, points to the refuge, the mighty cross. Dark as a stain we cannot hide. What can we do to wash it away? Look, there's flowing a crimson tide. Brighter than snow you may be today. grace, grace. God's grace Grace that will pardon and cleanse within Grace, grace God's grace Grace That is greater Than all our sin Would you bow your heads with me Have you found the better way Are you trusting Jesus to do what only He can do? Some of you here, and you, you realize in the course of this talk that you've never begun a relationship with God through Jesus. Here's what you need to do. Acknowledge your sin. Believe Jesus died for your sin. Surrender control of your life to Him. If you've never done that, would you do that right now? You can pray it in these words or words of your own. You could say, dear Jesus, just you and him. Say, dear Jesus, I know I need you. I'm a sinner. I deserve death. That's the truth. But now tell him this. But I believe you died for me. And I believe you're alive today. So I'm letting go of my sin. And I'm turning to you in faith. Maybe you would just say this. Just say, save me. Change me. Make me new. Whatever words you choose. And then tell him thank you now there are many of us here you've, you've prayed a prayer like that at some point and you really don't doubt your salvation you know you've got a relationship with God but you need his grace to abound because you're just struggling in maybe some circle of sin in your life and what Jesus did was enough for you I want you to hear that today what do you need to give to him Where do you need to say, God, give me more grace. Show me more grace today. Give me a pursuit of holiness. Let me honor you with my life. Let me reflect you in this world. God's grace is greater than your sin, but you still need to confess that. You need to repent of that. You need to cry out to him. Would you do that today? Father, in the name of Jesus, I just want to thank you for the truth of this scripture, that you do love us, and you did give us a better way. Lord, we thank you. We worship you. Lord, in this moment, may we just reflect on your grace. God, your grace. Oh, your grace. Greater than all our sin. We love you, Lord.